This is the preview for part two of the Partially Examined Life, episode 268 on Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business, featuring guest Brian Hurt. In this clip from near the beginning, we look more closely at Postman's claim that the written word is so much better at supporting context-laden chains of reasoning than anything that is televised is dramatized. Enjoy. The medium of television, one of its commandments is there can be no prerequisites. So it cannot require that you have in your mind anything previous. Every step is radically decontextualized. And you can see how impoverished discourse would become if that's the case. I just find myself having a little bit of a a visceral reaction again about the way in which the medium is used versus the way in which it has to be used. You know, and the context you bring to a written word, the idea that you able to have a hole that is bigger than the little tiny chinks in the chain that give you a greater thought and greater understanding as a result of having that hole put forth before you. And the notion that that is a proper function of typography as opposed to television. I still find myself dubious of the notion that, which is, is implied by him, something like that's always happens with the written word and that basically never happens with something like audiovisual media. And I don't know, I'm still sort of on the fence about whether there is a predisposition one way or the other. But it seems clear to me that you have all kinds of complete thoughts in television and contextualization. That's perfectly possible to do that. And in fact, with lots of television, you can't even watch it and understand it without that contextualization. Yes, it's not all music videos of just random... (laughs) Images going from one thing to the next. No, it's not. And it's also the case that just writing something down isn't sufficient to provide context. Even for huge tomes, right? There's a whole, uh, arguably, a big chunk of postmodernism is all about the fact that you can't read any book without having an exploration of the context or the genealogy or pick your other favorite way of talking about the fact that the written word doesn't stand on its own. I want to read him charitably, as Wes would say. And so I think that it is right that the way in which we transmit and consume thoughts. What's the phrase you used? Um, Oh, conceptual scheme. Conceptual scheme. Yes, that there's definitely meat on the bones of the conceptual scheme that we're using to communicate that predisposes to certain ways of grasping that information and maybe limits certain kinds of things. But it's still the case that most of television comes language laden it's not straight up imagery it comes with narrative explicitly it comes with words and sentences and so it makes me think that there's just a a lot to be played with about it has as much to do with the way you're using it as it does with the thing that you're using itself postman seems to be saying something like all of television is like trying to eat Velveeta cheese and thrive as a human being oh my god and that might be true But it's not clear to me that all of television is merely Velveeta cheese. That sounds so good. I must insist on cheese food. Come on. Cheese cheese food. (laughs) I'd argue also that visual communication relies just as much on purely visual information even relies on context and your ability to understand it based on your history of watching things. And if you were to drop someone who was watching movies in the 50s into a movie now, they would not be able to follow, even if it had dialogue, I think they wouldn't be able to follow how it was cut together because We've been trained and we have learned to consume visual information and we get good at it as being functioning members of society. Then how do we watch movies from that era and understand them? 
They seem boring. They're completely boring. <laughs> yeah. we, we, if they're from the, the 70s, we just turn them off. Got you. Who made this? They're fantastically solid. God damn it. You need an editor as bad as Cervantes did in Don Quixote. You just don't even know what... <laughs> that's, how, that's my reaction. Brian, at least you're... If you can watch Key Largo or The Big Sleep or something like that and think that it needs an editing bad and that it's somebody who could understand that movie could not understand... I don't know, The Shape of Water or some bullshit that just uh, recently came out. I don't know. You're making claims that are just as specious as the ones you attribute to Postman. At least, Brian, your concept of context was more sophisticated than what I was thinking. When Dylan said, you know, talking about the visual medium needing context, I was thinking, so I have to watch Breaking Bad in order to be able to understand and enjoy Better Call Saul, which, by the way, I didn't watch Breaking Bad, and I really do like Better Call Saul. I, I have a sense of who his character is supposed to be, but I just like the show in itself. Dylan, I think you're making a bit of a caricature of Postman's point. I can use one of two examples. One, because I love and admire Wes so much, I could use this one. And the other one, because I love and admire Wes so much. So is it possible, could it be possible to make a movie version of Critique of Pure Reason. And if you think that's ridiculous for me to even ask the question, how about a really good movie version or a complete movie version of The Brothers Karamazov or something like, isn't it the case that anytime you take a novel, a sprawling whatever novel, and you turn it into a movie, even if the movie's amazing, part of the judgment is, well, they had to make sacrifices. They couldn't include this. It's the reality of the difference between the written word in a particular format, which is a novel or an extended treatise or, or a systematic work of history. That type of work cannot be represented in a visual medium in the same way. Even if you could, I don't know how you would do it. People could not consume it. It would take hundreds of hours and you'd have to watch and you wouldn't be able to keep it in mind because the way that you watch and as Brian said is different than. So there's a really serious claim here, which is certain subjects. If you want to have certain kinds of conversations about certain subjects, you have to attend to the way in which you're doing it. And if we falsely believe that we can have a functioning democracy or government that works through Twitter or Facebook or the, even the television, then we're sadly mistaken. Now, ironically, laws are still written down. You can't just go on TV. There's a whole weird epistemology that's happening right now. But the criticism seems to me more about time base there than media base, right? If you said, make me a movie of Brothers Karamazov that is as long as it takes for a person to read the book, not two hours, but 25 hours or 37 hours or whatever it is, I bet you can probably come up with a movie that is a good rendition of that book. Now, there's, you're going to have a discussion about... But no one would watch it. Well, but that's a wholly different thing, right? Is it? By the way, there, there are several movie versions of The Brothers Caramels. I can't resist anymore, including one a with... A miniseries? There's a 1959 movie with Yul Brenner and William Shatner plays Alyosha. And it's actually pretty good, although they do have to make significant alterations because Alyosha cannot be the protagonist because he's very passive. So they make Dimitri the pr protagonist. But anyway, and then there are longer, <laughs> I think there's a longer Russian adaptation which tries to be more faithful. Or you could look at, you know, there's a BBC series on Pride and Prejudice, which pretty much just faithfully adapts the whole novel. I don't know if that changes what you're saying or if that's useful, but 
I could not resist anymore since the Brothers Karamazov kept getting mentioned. One of my responses to what Dylan was saying earlier about it sort of depends how the medium is used, that the medium is not defined just by the technology. The market forces and things are relevant too. So television is not just whatever is playing on a television because clearly this podcast, the Zoom, could be playing on a television and that doesn't mean anything. But it's television, of course, as like the pressures that networks are under. And of course, this then has changed over time as now. But you might say still there's the fundamentally the problem of it has to get your attention quickly. There has to be things that are constantly stimulating you. There has to be a highly visual element. There are things on YouTube that fail all of those, but those don't get watched a lot. Like it's what's actually going to generate the interest such that the money will be coming into it. But he has these commandments of TV. This is page 147. I mentioned the first, thou shalt have no prerequisites. Right, people should be able to tune in at any moment. And that's something that already with streaming, we don't really have that as much anymore. That Yeah, you don't have to watch all of Breaking Bad to understand Better Call Saul. But if you didn't even know that there was a series called Breaking Bad that this character was in, then you would see the intro scene of Better Call Saul when it's like way in the future after what Breaking Bad and the, the actual series is all flashback. You would just not understand what that was and it would seem like it went on forever. And I know this because I tried to show it to my some of my family and it just kind of wanted to fast forward through that to get to the... But thou shalt introduce no perplexity. In other words, you got to be really clean. You know, you can't be difficult. But the thing about Critique of Pure Reason is that nothing will be taught on television that cannot be both visualized and placed in a theatrical context. So in other words, narrative, and you're talking about could we make a movie version of Critique of Pure Reason, I can't think offhand, but there have been like attempts to make films out of something that's basically a philosophical treatise. And as long as you were like showing enough of Kant's life. And they're all horrible. On his daily constitutional and had some voiceovers of him thinking about things, maybe had some visuals. And then at some point, he has to yell at somebody like, can't you see that there's no way that reason could tell us whether the universe had a beginning or whether there's an infinite series of causes? It's just one of the limits of reason. It has to be very dramatic like that and to show how shocked all the establishment was by (laughs) his uh, making these proclamations. I feel as though you're making my point for me, yeah. (laughs) Dylan liked that idea. Dylan wants to see this movie. Oh, yeah. No, by all means, you guys should roll out to Hollywood and start pitching the major studios. I could be mistaken. Dylan, you have your PhD, correct? Yes. You still had to write that and defend it. It wasn't, you couldn't just make, I know it's been a while. You couldn't just make like a video and say, this is what I learned. Everyone sit back. We haven't gone that far. True? True, but it's full of pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Plots, right? So, I mean, it's full of things that are presented illustratively. Is it just full of memes? That feeling when? No, no. no. I mean, I'm joking, by the way I said it, but I'm, I'm also serious in that the deep content of it isn't in the words. You know, the results of my thesis are really in the graphs that are in there that are pictorially representing numbers and relationships. Those pictures are proofs of the argument, the point you're trying to make. They're not intended to entertain the audience. You did not write your thesis to be entertaining. You wrote your thesis to make an argument and prove a point. Yes. But of course, to the extent that you are trying to get your point across, right, you have to be attentive to your form of communication. Of course. And so... So did you slip in a few jokes here and there in your... I don't recall that I slipped in (laughs) 
many jokes and sarcasm in it. Certainly, I've read people's theses who do do that. I'm not trying to poke you like a bear or anything like that. I'm just, I really think this is like the critical piece that if what you're trying to do is be demonstrative in an argumentative structure, like this is Gorgias. I mean, this is rhetoric versus truth seeking. Are you trying to persuade? Are you trying to entertain? Are you seeking after the truth? And the Gorgias takes place in the field of the written word and discourse. And I think what Postman's pointing out is that you then have this third vector of not just persuasiveness, but entertainment, which then can itself become determinative about what you're capable of. If rhetoric is one step removed from truth, then entertainment is one step removed from rhetoric. There are elements that you want to bring into play because they make the audience more conducive to your message. But Postman's making a harder line to say, as soon as what you're doing is relying on forms of entertainment, you can't even state a thesis. You can't make a claim. You can't do anything. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife. Thanks for listening.